Hello and welcome to The Dirt in association with the Organic Gardening Catalogue. This is the podcast that unearths your guilty gardening secrets. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm Blake, Laura's deputy. Later in the show we'll be hearing about why wearable vegetable gardens could be the next big fashion craze. And I'll be sharing some plot jobs to tick off your list this week. But first up, we've got Bath-based allotment here, Ian, on the phone. Hello, Ian. Hello, Laura. How are you today? Yes, I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Yes, it's a, it's a lovely day here in uh, in Somerset. The rain's holding off, which is always good. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We've had a lot of it recently, haven't we? We have. I mean, it's obviously a good thing, considering the summers we've been having. But, uh, you know, it's not exactly conducive to getting out and uh, working. So I said you're an allotment grower, so you have an allotment in Bath, is that right? Yes, I've got one uh, just outside Bath. Um, what they we've got what they call a double plot. It's about I, I don't know about twelve meters long, something like that. I don't I don't know if that's if there's a standardised measure of allotment. So perhaps we're supposed to uh, measure it in the size of whales or something. It's not <laughs> as big as whales, um, but um, yeah, it's 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 about twelve meters long, three wide, something like that. And um, we've had it for a couple of years now. After we gave up uh, growing in our back garden, why did you give up there? Was it just a limited space, or was there? Did you find problems? It's or? partly limited space, partly um, because we we had a baby and we decided that a lawn was uh, was a good idea, oh. and <laughs> partly because um, the Flower borders are just so full of uh, stones and rubble and bits that they dumped when they were building our estate that uh, nothing really comes up very much beyond um, some daffodils and tulips and things. Um, So in the time since you've had your allotment, what would you say have been some of your biggest gardening successes? Um, Well, the one that springs immediately to mind are uh, are my artichokes. Um, because I I picked up a packet of seeds for probably about 50p at a garden centre and I've never eaten them before I'd seen them on MasterChef, that that sort of thing. Um, No idea really what what they were like. And these things came up, enormous great big plants. I I think I planted about six because I I had no idea what they were going to be like. Mm. And one would have been enough. (laughs) Um, (laughs) did you do some research before on how to grow them or did you just kind of chuck them in and hope for the best i just i just chucked them in and hope for the best which um which really is is often the way with these uh packets of cheap seeds that i pick up but yeah they're they're like if you've never grown them they're like um enormous thistles yeah and they're quite striking ornamental plants they look rather good in a flower border Mm -hmm. um but the the things just kept on fruiting and fruiting, well, flowering and flowering, because the the part that you eat is the uh, the flower bulb. Yeah. And um, I took took them home. I mean, they they're a pain to prepare for <laughs> yeah. eating. Um, you throw away about ninety percent of what you've grown, but um, you know, fr- fry them up, um, sprinkle them with salt, something like that. They're absolutely delicious, and there are uh, some stews that you can make, like um, artichoke barragul which absolutely fantastic and they really does make the uh, amount of time that you've spent preparing it worthwhile yeah yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of artichokes especially on pizzas i think if you haven't had them on pizzas oh uh, no yeah. you know, i've never tried that that's, so you've got the divisive pineapple topping that people always talk about but i think that artichokes <laughs> the real one that's yeah. the, that, it really gets me mm. i guess as well the thing um that must have made that success even sweeter was that there was an element of the unexpected about it it was, yes, very much, because the, the look on my wife's face when I brought them home <laughs> um, 
you know, six six of these great big spiky. They're they're like they're like a porcupine on a stick, aren't they? It's, yeah, um, and you you don't actually sort of think that that is in any way going to be a nice eating experience but then it did turned out well i do wonder who was the first person that ever thought this looks tasty <laughs> yeah this slightly i'll alien. see what happens yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean did they try and eat them like an apple i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i imagine that would have put them off pretty quick <laughs> <laughs> but i've been very proud of those and the, the good thing about them is they keep coming back year after year as well oh yeah that's a really great point because then it's sort of mm. the plant that keeps on giving but to move on from um the things in the garden that you've been very proud of to the sometimes less popular topic of things that haven't gone so well. (laughs) So have you had any sort of any gardening failures or funny stories or anything that's gone wrong that you sort of weren't anticipating? Well, I think there's more of these than um, there are the great successes, unfortunately. Um, (laughs) It's often the way. the, the, The biggest one is probably the time I set my greenhouse on fire. Oh, wow! Um, <laughs> how did you manage which, that? Um, well, uh, picture the scene. It's the middle of winter and it's frosty. It's quite late at night and maybe a, a Monday night or something. And um, I get sent down to the allotment to, to pick up a gas bottle that we've been keeping down there. Right. And so I, I take the opportunity to go into the greenhouse and light the... Um, paraffin heater that we've got down there because um, my wife's very keen on growing exotic plants. She mm-hmm. um, imported some um, mangoes and some curry leaves from Thailand oh. um, and tried to keep them in the greenhouse. Now, this was an epic disaster because the only one that we have left is the um, the Thai curry leaf plant, which oh, no. now lives at home where it's warmer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this was a few years ago now. We 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 were naive. And <laughs> so I lit the, the paraffin heater that we were using just to keep the frost off and um, walked off with carrying my gas bottle <laughs> and went to get it um, refilled. So I, I drive I drive all the way into Bath, into to home base or wherever, get the thing refilled and drive back out to the allotment. It's it's about an hour round trip. Mm. And when I get to the allotment, and I it's still it's you know it's pitch black at this point. The, the stars were amazing overhead. It's funny how you remember things like that. Yeah. Um uh, I realized, you know, there's there's no I didn't know that it was a, a fire to begin with, though, because it had finished. It had burned itself out in the hour that I'd been gone. Oh. Um and so our greenhouse was lined with uh, bubble wrap all oh, right and yeah. so- somehow somehow what had happened i don't know exactly how but the bubble wrap had caught light oh, i didn't even yeah. think that bubble wrap would be flammable but i guess it. <laughs> well i think it's a combination of the paraffin heater that maybe the paraffin heater fuse had coated the bubble wrap with a thin but highly flammable layer of paraffin oh yeah so what did you do next how how did you explain this one well i was i was dumbfounded absolutely dumbfounded i tried to take um some pictures of everything and i was thanking just about every god that was passing that i had taken the gas bottle away yeah wow because that would have been a different story wouldn't it it would have been an absolute disaster yeah we you know the fight we would have had the fire brigade and helicopters Mm. and who knows what else um so 
I, I tried to take some pictures of the scene. Luckily, the greenhouse was largely undamaged. It was a bit blackened in places. Mm. But I, I think the, the fire must have just whipped through the, uh, the bubble wrap and then, you know, having nothing else to, to feed upon had just burned itself out. Yeah. So that, but the, the, by far the worst bit of it was going home and explaining to the wife that her exotic plants were no more. <laughs> oh no. Oh yeah. Because every every single one had been had been burned to a crisp. Has she forgiven you now? She has forgiven me now. Because... Or is this a constant thing that crops up? <laughs> it hasn't been mentioned for a few months, actually. <laughs> Let's hope she doesn't listen to this then. Otherwise it might rear its head again. Oh, that's a very good point. Um, <laughs> so it then, you know, fell to, to replace the exotic plants. And uh, as, as I said, the, the mangoes were weren't going to grow in this in this climate anyway so um that's the story really of how i burned down my greenhouse and why i now have a thai curry leaf plant yeah <laughs> I, I have to say that's our our first greenhouse fire we've had on the podcast I think it's our so. first fire anything, <laughs> yeah. anything related to fire yeah. right it, some people just shouldn't be left alone with flammable liquids and apparently i'm one of them <laughs> <laughs> at least you know that now yeah. Well, I know that now. That's uh, why I buy electrical equipment now, not petrol-based. <laughs> yeah. So we also like to hear about any shortcuts or um, unconventional ways you like to do things on, on your allotment plot. So have you got any of those that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, the only one really is that much to the um, disgust of some of the older gentlemen on our um, allotment, we yeah. have completely covered our plot in weed suppressing membrane right okay top to top to bottom it's it's black what do they not like about that they don't think that it's a proper allotment if you don't go up there every week and weed it right Ah, i see yeah a little bit of allotment snobbery Um, possibly yes um although obviously um if the committee is listening we do love you and appreciate everything that you do yes (laughs) Um, that goes without saying (laughs) yes so it, it's just so convenient now because we both work full time. We've got a three-year-old child. Um, I can't set the three-year-old to weeding it quite as much as I would like. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Maybe Not in yet. a couple of years. years. Yeah. She's a little bit bigger. Yeah. But just having this weed membrane down, planting through it, it keeps down the weeds. It stops the um, weed seeds from landing. Um, from Because we, we have the plot on the end of our allotment area and out to the uh to the left of it it's purely farmland and so the prevailing wind also comes from that direction so we are the the front line of anything that blows in from the farmland any uh um seeds or or anything from the thistles or um the you know the farmland plants oh yeah so putting this stuff down it's just it's just saved saved my back so much trouble and I mean the thing is with you working full-time and having a young family as well it Mm. it really is about making it manageable for you isn't it making it work for your family you know the time that you've got available yes yes absolutely and I think um it 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 looks great in the middle of uh in the middle of summer when you've got squash plants or um sweet corn poking up through it and Mm. you've got your bean tent up and uh and what have you because we have to use a lot of protection on the on our plot because of the wind it's absolutely unstoppable coming in from the west and we're 
as I said, we're the one on the end, so we get it first. Mm. And so anything that we put up, anything like uh, bean rows and that, we have to put a layer of uh, fleece or something around just to stop the wind blowing it, the small plants over. Yeah. Does that help? Does that fend it off? It does. It, f- it fends it off. I, I mean, we, some of the people on the allotments around here have got some very, very um, complicated structures that they've built um, just to keep the wind off things. So I don't really see if you're going to be putting up fleece or even using your, your weed membrane vertically to wrap around things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see that it's too much of a jump to actually putting it across your entire plot. And I think we've got more and better crops as a result of it. What stuff are you planning on growing this year? Obviously, right on the, it's soon going to be time to start getting stuff in. So I'm a big fan of homegrown sweet corn. So I'm always got a, mm. a packet of uh, um, the, li- the little dwarf super sweet, like Swift. Um, yeah. It's a, I'm a big fan of, of that one. It grows really well here in, uh, in our soil. As long as we have a long enough summer, it's really sensitive to uh, the amount of time um, that it gets in the sun. So last year was a washout, but the year mm-hmm. before that we had some cracking uh, sweet corn. Um, so I'm, I'm going to do a few of the usuals, like some uh, some runner beans, and uh, the wife's very keen on onions and garlic because we uh, we go through a lot of that in the kitchen. And um, does your little one have any favourite vegetables to eat? She's a big fan of um, of broccoli, funnily enough, um, which I, I understand is unusual in small children. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm quite pleased about this. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I might see if I can uh, get some of that, some, some calories or something going. Oh, that's lovely. I think it's probably something to do with the fact that she's seeing it growing as well, isn't it? That sort of removing the element of separation yes yes it could i mean we've been taking her down there since uh she was she was born really and um she spent last summer um plotting raids on other allotment holders raspberry patches (laughs) (laughs) i love that (laughs) yeah oh not the best way to make allotment friends i suppose (laughs) yes go go over and pinch their raspberries when they're they're there yes i feel like she could probably get away with it better than what you could though so well she does have the edge in the cuteness stakes yeah Yeah. (laughs) um so apart from not setting your greenhouse on fire again what would be your sort of lesson that you've learned from your time on your allotment take your tools home with you um rather than storing them on the allotment i think is the best thing because we've had a spate of robberies oh yeah and um we we have a ramshackle shed on on our uh plot and it was secured with a chain quite quite a heavy chain and uh they just cut through it oh and really they, they weren't interested in, in any of the junk that was in our shed they wanted uh uh, they were looking for petrol-powered rotavators and strimmers and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, so we didn't actually get robbed. But I was just very, very glad that I took my tools home. So, yeah, yeah it really does pay to, to look after your gear if you want to uh, That'd be expensive to have to replace it all, wouldn't it? So it's Very much, yes, yeah. yes. And, you know, the allotment, nobody's there at night on, on these allotments. Um, people can just walk in. There's no electricity, so you can't you can't set security cameras or trip alarms or that that sort of thing um so it is quite vulnerable yeah it's such a shame when stuff like that happens isn't it and um but i suppose maybe some thorny plants 
Put some people <laughs> off with some thorny plants. <laughs> well, maybe the um, the artichokes could come in handy there, yes. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us today on The Dirt. It's been really great chatting with you. Good luck this year. Yes. and oh, thank you very much. We hope yes. to catch up with you again and hear more about this year's harvest. Oh, that would be lovely. Great to talk to you. In the meantime, Blake, we'd better head across for our team chat. Yeah, I know Rosa's got something a bit weird that she's going to bring to the team chat this week, so let's go and hear about that. I'm looking forward to it. So, I have just found the best thing to improve your wardrobe in time for summer. Tell us more. Okay, brace yourselves. It is a wearable garden that is nourished by your own bodily waste. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yes, including your sweat and um, your urine. Sorry, is it Uh, April Fool's today or something? (laughs) No, it is not April Fool's Day. So Um, it's, as what it sounds, it's a wearable garden that's a bit like a uh, sort of walking, edible, living gilet, pretty much. Um, (laughs) But it has urine on it. So... It functions like hydroponics. So, okay. um, this story's bizarre. <laughs> I think this might be the weirdest thing we've spoken about. Yes. So the wearable garden allows a person to grow food directly on their bodies using green wall technology from um, a man called Patrick Blank, the inventor of the vertical garden. So um, I think oh, cool. it functions a bit like a vest that has like an inner line of seeds so when you put it on your body it absorbs all of <laughs> I know it absorbs all of the moisture from your skin and it uses that as the water to grow things I am flabbergasted mainly that you would consider eating these things afterwards yeah that so you grow edibles on here. Yes, 40 different fruits and vegetables have been grown on this <laughs> odd fashion farm. Uh, sorrel, cabbage, purple, cool rabbi, uh, broccoli, <laughs> radish. So pretty much anything you want, you can grow on your own body. Are you, just, are you meant to grow stuff like... What am I trying to say? I, maybe to, the first question is why. Yeah. Okay, so... Surprisingly enough, it's not available on the market because I know it's more of a statement in terms of that we need to do more to react to climate change. So in the future, as a broad idea, there might become a point where we don't have enough land to grow fruits and vegetables. So we need to start thinking about alternative ways that we can grow fruit and veg, maybe not not necessarily on our own bodies, but... um, Things like that. Well, so. wow. I mean, Laura's rarely stuck for words. Laura <laughs> is speechless right now. It apparently is very uncomfortable to wear, as I'm we can all smelly, imagine. I can imagine. Would you get yeah. like bits of foliage? Oh, probably just, sticking just like into sticking into places. your body. But apparently, it was meant to be uncomfortable because it makes us realise the kind of extremes we might have to go to to safeguard our survival. And that's not my quote. That is. The inventor of the vest, the um, assistant professor at the University of Southern California School of Architecture, who invented it. So do you put it on before the seeds have germinated and then just wait a few months while... (laughs) I think so. I mean, there are photos of it, but it's very sort of developed in these photographs. I don't know how long you'd have to wear this for. We'll have to pop them on the socials. Yeah, absolutely. This is going straight up on social media so that everybody can enjoy looking at these slightly strange images of... 
huge vests. I would say, though, you'd never get hungry in a work meeting ever again. No, you, <laughs> you just wouldn't. pick a bit off and then there you go, your lunch. Yeah. Be suited. No more rumbling tummies. <laughs> that is a very good positive of wearing this uncomfortable, leafy costume. Well, I love that story. It's a good one. Um, I'm slightly confused about the whole eating something off that's potentially got somebody's... I know. And so, like... I was going to say, would the per- would the wearer be the only person that eats food from it? But then I don't think I. No, want because to in eat. that main photo that you've got there, Rose, it's the woman is sharing finger food. Yeah, it's like <laughs> she's picked like up <laughs> <laughs> So you she don't gets. eat it directly from the source. You're not like munching off of somebody. No, <laughs> just <laughs> behind someone on an escalator. <laughs> Although technically, I guess it could work like that. And then there's a very um, scientific diagram that involves an IV stand filled with fluid, filtered urine for irrigation. I honestly don't really know how the urine plays a part in it because I'm guessing you would only... I thought you might only need your sweat, but apparently you take urine as well. So, Well, I mean, you do put it on compost, don't you, as an activator? Yes, it's a seed-filled felt. So... If you want to do this yourself, get hold of some seed-filled felt and you can make your own. Oh, dear. And please send in your photos if you yeah, do it. Please do. Please. Um, that's completely bizarre. It Moving is. on to something less bizarre. Okay. Um, my story is slightly more serious, but not that serious. So I got a press release this week through, um, and it's a new campaign called the Hashtag Feed Me Truth campaign. Right. So it's got a similar message, actually, to what you were just talking about, Rose, about, um, you know, saving the planet and the environment and that kind of thing. And yeah. specifically about children knowing where their food comes from, which I don't think is a new idea. No. But this campaign is just trying to push it back into the forefront of minds again, which is good. And it's being fronted by Adam Henson, who you might have seen on Country File yeah. um, and other uh, TV and radio stuff. He's a farmer. Um, who's pushing this at the moment and he's fronting that campaign. And he said that the appreciation and understanding of food starts with children simply knowing how and where the ingredients on their plate were produced, um, but many don't. Uh, every school dinner has a story to tell. It's a journey and it leaves a footprint. So we need children to be able to explore and be inspired and learn from that. So that they're taking this into schools and nurseries mm. and secondary schools as well and really teaching people young people where their food comes from that sounds great is it the sort of thing that people listening can get involved with or is it yeah so if you go to feedmetruth.co.uk i think they're starting up a petition as well to kind of campaign to teach children you know to get more children involved in it so Mm -hmm. you can probably go and do that but the reason why they're doing this is because Recently, the British Nutrition Foundation did a survey with some really shocking results. Oh, so right. they researched 27,500 children across the country, across the UK, um, and nearly a third of them, 29% of five to seven-year-olds, thought that cheese came from a plant. A plant? Yeah. Like a cheese plant. A cheese plant. Yeah. Okay, well, there is a plant called a cheese plant. <laughs> so you can't <laughs> so get that cheese. Is so it's an easy mistake to make. It. Yeah. Um, But that's not all. Um, Tomatoes, they thought that tomatoes grow underground. Fish fingers are made from chicken. um, And according to more than one in 10 of eight to 11 year olds, pasta comes from an animal. So (laughs) I think there's some serious education that does need to happen. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely highlights the gap between. Yeah, and I think as well, like school dinners, you go in and you eat and you don't know 
you know, you're not sure where that food's coming from. Why is the education not kind of... Mm. Yeah, being um, built in. Being built into that, yeah. I don't know whether you were school dinner kind of people or packed lunch. Packed lunch. <laughs> I said that with the most deadpan <laughs> face I've ever seen. <laughs> like, how dare you even question my packed lunch? <laughs> I had school dinners Did on you? and off. <laughs> and I think they did improve as the older I got, but I definitely when I was at primary school, it was quite, I still found it pretty tasty as a child, but I, there were some things <laughs> I did not like, like mashed potato that sort of came in ice cream scoops, if anyone else had that. Oh, they were really liquidy, like My, weird. Were just ice cream shaped mashed potato, but yeah. it wasn't very nice. And everything sort of came out of a tin and tasted a bit weird. And I mean, I was fortunate enough to have, home cooked meals at home so when I was trying these sorts of meals at school I was like oh they don't taste like the things that my mum's cooking I think it's important that especially at schools if children don't have access to lots of home cooked meals at home that they should be doing Mm. more to improve the standards that are served at school yeah and having healthier meals and obviously I was pre- Jamie Oliver getting rid of the turkey twizzlers Mm. which was a controversial I think happened in 2005 2005 it was yeah definitely mid noughties time but I saw the other day that there's actually a campaign to bring back turkey twizzlers that's been oh. signed by 27,000 people so is maybe. there even any oh turkey God. in them I, I don't think there's much I think there's like about 30% turkey or something which sounds yeah. which is maybe more than you might think but it's still ridiculously low in something that is meant to be turkey yeah mm-hmm. you feel like they shouldn't be allowed to call it a turkey twizzler no if it's got 30% I was, yeah, so I, but I never really used to eat them. I was more of a packed lunch person as well. You think actually that if schools, um, bringing it back around to what goes into the school dinners, if Mm. schools had the facility, I know not all schools would be able to, but if they had any, even really tiny space to to grow grow some ingredients there, it's probably. I think some schools must do that. Yeah, Mm. in my local area, they're fundraising at the moment for equipment to start growing fruit and vegetables in schools mm-hmm. I think if children like you're saying about that project if they know where their fruit and veg are coming from and they're actually picking it themselves it does inspire the want to try it and eat it yeah and also think about how exciting it always felt at school if you had any projects or any lessons that were outside of the yeah, classroom the environment yeah, that was always so exciting. It was. It was so exciting. Um, but it's true because Lee Connolly was obviously on the podcast last week and he was talking about getting kids gardening and specifically yeah. his daughter but and how that can really help improve. And I think if more people are aware of that and they're doing that, then they're getting a better idea naturally. They're not mm-hmm. having to be educated on it because they're already seeing it yeah, happen. Yeah. Um, I think as well, actually linking into what you've just said and linking into what Lee Connolly was saying last week. I was actually giving some consideration this week to, after that conversation with Lee, to earliest memories of gardening, being in the garden. So I wanted to ask you two, what were your earliest gardening memories? Oh, this is lovely and nostalgic. Mm. Mine was definitely growing vegetables with my nan in her garden she had a really well she still has a a really big garden in our home in Suffolk and um I wasn't allowed to grow anything at home because my mum's very much more flowers Mm -hmm. rather than vegetables so I remember digging up the potatoes and the parsnips and I remember my nan's quite 
she had weird methods that she would like, for instance, harvest a load of beetroot and then I'd have to look after her it when she was boiling up these like massive vats of like beetroot. <laughs> I don't really know why she did that. But wait, what were you looking after? <laughs> oh, like a giant pot of beetroot that oh, was I boiling. See. So yeah. That was fun. Just doing those sorts of things. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I used to grow at my grandparents and my house with my parents had a quite a small garden and we always used to say that we think it was the last house built on the whole of the estate because the ground was horrible there were like if you tried to dig on it it was just you'd find like scraps of materials for building houses and stuff like they just dumped everything in this one garden right at the end um so there was no chance of growing anything there but I did used to grow at my grandparents and one of my earliest memories is um when I got given a greenhouse. And you got was, given a greenhouse? Yeah, it was my Christmas present. Amazing. It was so exciting. Um, it was slightly smaller than my granddad's, but I didn't care because I was slightly smaller as well. So it didn't even matter. <laughs> no, it was I a perfect size for me. a bigger one than yeah. granddad. Yeah, it was quite small, but it was so exciting. And I just loved it so much. It transformed my life because I had my own little independent space to go and do this stuff in. It was really nice having that responsibility. I think you weren't just like an accessory being used to go and do stuff and help out. But I was, you know, trusted to do my own thing. And I just loved that. To this very day, that greenhouse still stands there. And I think it's more used as a storage space now. But um, yeah. Oh, you should claim it back. I know. I think I might. (laughs) (laughs) Also, think how pleased little baby Blake would be at the job that you're doing now. I know. That's so Who'd have sweet. thought it? Yeah. Um, I think probably one of my earliest. Oh yeah, I forgot you hadn't said <laughs> Just looking at you now. <laughs> What's next? Why is she not saying anything? <laughs> um, yeah, I think one of my earliest gardening memories probably would be that when my parents are both both big gardeners. My dad has his allotment, but my mum also enjoys gardening at home. And I always wanted to be involved in everything they were doing. Mm-hmm. Still do now. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and obviously I would be very much underfoot and annoying probably again. <laughs> Still am now. Um, you said it. <laughs> but um, so they actually gave me a little corner of the garden. They cut a little bed out for me to put my own stuff oh. in. And my methods were basically go and cut bits off of plants that I liked <laughs> and just jab them in the ground, which obviously, as we're all aware, doesn't work for an- everything. Yeah. But one thing that definitely did take, and I do not know how I managed to take a accidental cutting of this anyway, was I must have jammed a pyracantha cutting in the, in the ground. And for anyone who isn't well-versed in pyracanthas, they are giant aggressive thorny plants <laughs> no, and basically dangerous. no and basically this took and not only did it take it grew and it grew and it grew oh, no. it's still there to this day <gasps> um this giant pyracantha in the corner of the garden behind the apple trees <laughs> yeah. renders that corner of the garden virtually unusable <laughs> but i suppose a pretty good security device I guess so. It sounds like a slightly dangerous thing for you to grow when you were little. Yeah. But you didn't have any accidents with it. Just keep telling your mum that it's a security device every time you go to the garden and she points out like, that's your handiwork over there. Can't use that part of the garden now. Look how much additional natural security I'm giving you here, parents. (laughs) 
But yeah, I think it's really lovely to look back at sort of how you first got yeah, into Yeah, I hadn't gardening. thought about that story that I just said for a long time. I'd kind of forgotten. It's those first moments of discovering where something comes from or how it looks. I remember I picked cucumbers and I didn't realise that they could be like bobbly. You know, like sometimes yes, varieties have yeah. like little bobbly white bits. I mean, we should know this. We're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> regarding actually, no, we do know. Um, but yeah, my mum was like, I'll go outside because we did used to grow like some cucumbers in a pot. And I went outside and I was like, what? They're all not like smooth from the, like, the <laughs> yeah. ones in the supermarket. Yeah. And then I was like, can we eat these, mum? Are they like infected? And she was like, no, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so those oh. moments, I think you always remember. Those spiky yeah. cucumbers do look a bit alien though. Yeah, they do look like they shouldn't be edible, but mm. they are. And they taste good. So um, Also, we would obviously love to hear any early gardening stories for many listeners so if you've had any particularly interesting routes into gardening or anything that really stands out in your mind do get in touch with us because we'd love to hear about it but um for now i suppose we should get back on with some magazine work and throw over to chris collins from the organic gardening catalogue for his organic tip of the week Remember to save yourself a bit of work in the garden and always use this tip, it's called weed before they seed. A chickweed can actually literally flower and produce seed in less than three weeks, so if you let that go, you can have a lot more chickweed to deal with. So get that hoe out, go between the lines, go between your plants, turn those weeds up to the sun and make sure you give yourself an easier life. That's my tip and over to the Grow Your Own team for Jobs on the Plot. As we recover from the aftermath of Storm Kira and Storm Dennis earlier in the month, these storms have done untold damage to many communities around the country. So your time may be consumed with getting things back to normal and back on track in the garden. We've seen plenty of your photos showing polytunnels that are now looking slightly worse for wear from the winds. So if this is you, it will be worth thinking about whether it's repairable or if you need to replace it in the near future. Many gardeners are starting off their first seedlings of the year under the protection of glass or a propagator. Tomatoes, chilies, and aubergines are all on my to-sow list this weekend. And whilst you don't want to crowd your space, I always think that sowing slightly more than you're going to need gives a safety buffer to allow for any failed germination. Plus, you can always pass any spares on to fellow gardeners, friends, family members, or neighbors if you have more than you need. Think about investing in a cold frame to give protection to young plants over the coming weeks and months. These can be found as flat pack purchases online, or if you're handy with a toolbox and some materials, then making your own will be even more satisfying. There are plenty of guides online and it can be a great way to give a second life to old windows as your new cold frame lid. When you find garden tools that you love to use, it's important to give them the TLC they deserve to keep them in good shape, especially if they've been left out in all weathers over winter months. Use a soft brush or cloth to work in teak or linseed oil to wooden handles. Lubricate the hinges of any cutting tools like secateurs or loppers. And keep rust at bay by dipping an old cloth in engine oil and wiping sparingly over metallic parts of tools. Your kit will be almost as good as new before spring arrives. And finally, I've got plans to get everything stocked up this weekend, ready for things hotting up in March and April. So a trip to the garden centre is in store. To avoid buying everything I come across though, I'm going to rein things in a little by making sure I go with a list. But whether it's new compost, pots, tools or something larger you need, the time to treat yourself is right now with the main growing season just around the corner. 
Have a great week and until next time, happy growing. Thanks again for listening to The Dirt in association with the Organic Gardening Catalogue. Whether you're an accomplished organic grower or just interested in learning about growing in a more natural way, the Organic Gardening Catalogue is for you. They're the one-stop shop for all things garden-related. They've got a fantastic selection of seeds, plants, tools and more. Be inspired by growing organic, whether it be in a garden, an allotment or even on a city balcony. Visit organiccatalogue.com for more. And don't forget to subscribe to The Dirt for free to make sure you never miss an episode. We'd love it if you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to tell your allotment neighbours. We have some really exciting guests coming up and one of them could be you. Do you or someone you know have some great gardening advice, dirty gardening secrets or funny disasters on the plot? Email thedirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk to let us know. Plus, as a special treat for a monthly dose of trusted garden advice from the whole Grow Your Own team, We've got an exclusive offer just for the dirt listeners. Head to growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash pod G, that's P-O-D-G, or call 0800 904 7000 and quote pod G to get three issues of Grow Your Own magazine for just £6. And every issue comes with a selection of free seeds. Check the episode notes for details and terms.